T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Here comes Elizabeth Stell, though, of the Commonwealth Foundation. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Sue. How you doing? Doing great. How are you this morning? Oh, you know, I'm living the dream as always. <laughs> it's a great of you to, to join us today to talk about uh, a topic that I know at least one of our own lawmakers, a guy named Aaron Coffer, has been very, very, very persistent on. And, and uh, you know, do you know Aaron Coffer? He's a state rep. Yeah, we've worked with Aaron Coffer extensively on some of these reforms that are now coming to fruition. So he's been um, a great champion in the legislature in terms of making sure that the discussion continues over a part of our budget uh, that's, you know, 40% of our spending. So this is really really critical anytime you're trying to figure out how in the world is the state going to balance its budget without hiking taxes. Okay, so 40% of the budget goes to welfare programs? Right, human services. Okay, so that's under the umbrella of human services. Because, Mm -hmm. uh, Elizabeth, often when we try to have conversations about any kind of welfare reform, I I just want you to know right off the bat, and you probably feel it too, there's a lot of blowback because people say that you're trying to uh, poor shame, deprive people, hurt them, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see it differently? Yeah. Well, what we're actually trying to do is make sure that the safety net, these systems that are really important, remain. We're trying to protect these systems because right now they're threatened. Right now we're looking at a situation where if we don't do something different, we're not going to have the money to continue providing these benefits to folks, and we're going to have to start making really drastic cuts. I don't think anyone wants a situation where we have to pare down our programs because we have you know, no other choice before us. So we'd much rather change the programs to make them better at moving people into a state of independence than have to come back years later and make dramatic reductions. And we know that uh, Elizabeth, Pennsylvania, um, is is a pretty generous benefit state, isn't it? Absolutely, we're uh, in the top ten in terms of how much we spend on our Medicaid beneficiaries, and we have really generous eligibility standards pretty much across the board. Um, but the question really isn't, you know, well, you know, how, um, you know. You're mean if you reduce eligibility, you know, or, or any sort, any, anything along that. The, the measure that we should be looking at, you know, and, and how are we helping people is, are we moving people out of the system? How long are they languishing in these programs? Are they earning more income? Are they bettering themselves? Are they getting um, to a state where, where they don't need support anymore? That's the real measure of success. And so the reforms that are being talked about now in the House and in the state budget are about, improving people's lives, not about taking things away. All right. And uh, I, I think that the, when you frame it up like that, it, it seems to be uh, not as, as mean and nasty as some people. But, you know, some people are always going to say if you take anything away from anybody, you're, you're being um, 
a Scrooge. But in this case, you're, there are a couple of things that uh, are, are being looked at in the state legislature. And uh, we can go over a couple of them, uh, including the uh, Medicaid work requirement waiver. Can you talk about that? And can you talk about uh, maybe uh, modeling on, on other states, what other states have done that seems reasonable? Right. Yeah, I, I think most people would agree, and, and at least this is what the polling shows, is if you are in a welfare program, if you are getting essentially taxpayer-funded health insurance and you can work, you should contribute something. You know, there, there, there is an understanding that, yeah, if, if you're able to get a part-time job or do some volunteer work, you should. You should in return to the benefits that you're receiving. So that's basically what this waiver is asking. It only uh, will most likely target healthy adults without children at home. So people that can go out and get a job, encourage them to work, because the only way they're ever going to move off of Medicaid and be able to afford private insurance is if they're working, is if their incomes are going up. So what this uh, new fiscal code does, which is before the Senate, passed the House uh, this week, what it does, it says, all right, we are going to ask Washington, D.C. for a waiver for a rule change in our Medicaid program so that we can encourage our healthy adults on Medicaid to go to work. And other states have done this and uh, have received that kind of consideration? Yes, so we've seen work requirements be highly successful in other programs in other states. Uh, No state has implemented work requirements for Medicaid yet. Um, There's a bunch of requests before the Trump administration right now. Uh, They're in the process, but it's it's too early to see what's going to be approved and how it's going to flush out. But we do know, looking at these exact same folks in food stamps, Kansas saw a 75% drop in that population. Maine, 86% drop. Florida, 94% drop, which tells us that people are able and willing to get work, but for whatever reason, the system encourages them not to do that. And so when you put a requirement in front of them, they opt for working rather than continuing to receive benefits and, in most cases, bringing homeless income. All right. And you're looking at also uh, some kind of a cost overruns uh, provision. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, our Medicaid program especially overruns its budget almost every single year. We have a really hard time budgeting for Medicaid. And so what this says is it provides some accountability. It says, okay, Department of Human Services, you need to be a little more accurate on projecting how much these programs are actually going to cost us. Because if you go over your budget, you're going to have to go through all the work of submitting a waiver to Washington, D.C. to ask for cost-saving changes before we're even going to consider giving you what they call supplemental appropriation, which is backfilling from the year before. So really this is about accountability uh, for, for the state and about finding new innovative ways to save money without detrimentally affecting any of the beneficiaries. How, how is it that this can overrun all the time? <laughs> well, I think it's very difficult to predict. Um, it's difficult to predict, you know, your own health needs at the beginning of a year, let alone the health needs for millions of people across Pennsylvania. So it, it, it's, it's difficult, and I think this points to a bigger problem in Medicaid and healthcare across the board, which is 
it's really hard to shop for health care. You, know, you don't know what the price is before you get a procedure. It's difficult to know what kind of procedure you need. So I, I think that's just indicative of a larger problem with health care, which is a conversation for another day. Um, but we should do at least everything we can to try to keep it within budget so that we can plan from year to year and we don't have to default to high tax tax hikes or borrowing or anything else that just creates problems down the road. Here's one that you're going to have to help me with because I don't even understand how this happens, and I'm wondering how how it does. You have uh, premiums from well-off families utilizing Medicaid. How in the world do well-off people qualify for Medicaid? So this targets, or I should say, uh, addresses folks who have a child with a disability. And in Pennsylvania, if you have a child with a significant disability, you can qualify for Medicaid, which makes sense because it can be very expensive to care for a child with special needs. And so what we're asking in this provision is simply that a family, if they make a 1,000% over the federal poverty line, would contribute, would have some premium for the Medicaid services that their child is using. Uh, and, and it's really a matter of fairness because these families are paying nothing for Medicaid while other families with much lower incomes are paying something for what we call CHIP, which is another form of subsidized health insurance for kids. And so this is just, you know, a, a fair share provision, and we're the only state that looks at what they call the child's income, which is usually zero, versus the family's income when they just determine if there's going to be, you know, any premium for what we call the medically eligible kids on Medicaid. All right. And uh, the uh, release these sent over said that that would be $50? Yeah, that's what it appears to be. Um, the losses are going to... They're going to implement it on a sliding scale in accordance with CHIP rules. So we're still getting some additional clarification um, from the legislature on exactly what that sliding scale looks like, but the number that's been thrown around is $50 a month. Um, and, again, this only impacts families if they're earning um, $246,000 a year or more. Okay. And uh, finally, you would like to see... And I guess our lawmakers would like to see um, an outside evaluator on some programs. Uh, why Why the outside evaluator, Elizabeth? Why can't these uh, programs police themselves adequately? Well, there are a lot of ways that we attempt to police them. Um, what this is about is bringing in a, a third-party evaluator um, to <laughs> evaluate the evaluator, so to speak, to look and say, all right, are all of the protections we have in place actually working? Are we catching all the fraud? Are we catching all the abuse? Um, are we catching all the waste? And if not, you know, then they will provide recommendations and we can improve our systems because, frankly, there's always room for improvement. And it's critically important when we're looking at, you know, dire budget situations that we're not wasting any money on people who aren't eligible for services when there are so many people that are even on waiting lists um, to, to receive services from the state. It just seems odd to me that the, these these entities wouldn't be able to uh, ascertain the fraud and waste within their own divisions. W- would there be any kind of um, repercussions to if, if they are found from a third-party evaluator? Yeah, there's nothing in the legislation at this point 
that would would involve repercussions. Um, so I, I don't know if that would be a part of it, but certainly having um, this this outside entity come in would hopefully generate some very interesting information that could be shared publicly. And then again, we can create some more accountability for the Department of Human Services to make sure they're policing each of these programs to the best of their ability. And I'd point out too that an awful lot of these programs are highly regulated by the federal government, so it's it's tough. I mean, they're very complex, and that's another reason why we're excited not just about the work requirements, but about what's going on with Obamacare repeal and this push across across the country really to give states more flexibility in how they implement food stamps, how they implement Medicaid, how they implement TANF, which is the cash assistance, um, because there's so much red tape right now that it's difficult to even do the really good things like reduce fraud and abuse. All right, uh, Elizabeth Stell, we know the the other question I would have, and, and we're almost out of time, is the, the budget went into effect and it's not balanced in the state. How does the Commonwealth Foundation view that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem. Um, you know, we're concerned that we're setting this very dangerous precedent of passing a spending plan before we pass a way to pay for it. Um, that's extremely dangerous and, frankly, unconstitutional. So we hope that lawmakers and the governor will come to a revenue plan very soon. Um, if not, we know it's going to mean some really bad policies down the road. Um, it's just going to create an even more difficult situation. Um, and when we have difficult situations, a lot of times the default is tax hikes, and, and they're actually discussing all kinds of tax hikes right now, tax hikes on cable bills, on your energy consumption, um, all sorts of stuff. So we want to see them get a spending plan in place and ultimately work towards reducing government spending. Elizabeth Stell is the Director of Policy Analysis from the Commonwealth Foundation. It's always a pleasure to have uh, you and uh, the others from the Commonwealth Foundation join our show. We sure do appreciate it. Well, thank you. All right. It's 1023 at WILK. Here's your break. And now we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. 